This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Open for Business here on BFM 89.9. I'm Lily Chai. Community Tukang Jahit is an accredited social enterprise that wants to empower B40 Malaysian women, which include single mothers, single women, underprivileged women, stay-at-home mothers, and even the OKU group. And they do that by training and providing job opportunities to these women as they work from home. They focus on making mostly uh, corporate gifts, customized own items, and even tourist souvenirs. Co-founders Yap Su Yi and Gan Teng Hui are here with me today to share their business journey. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Morning. Morning. Uh, Su Yi, you were, <laughs> you were on our show previously. Yeah. And uh, you did mention that Teng Hui was your mentor before he joined you officially as a partner. Uh, tell me more about how so you, you first started the company and how Teng Hui came into the picture. All right. So this goes way back when uh, when I started my first startup. It's actually a fashion platform, crowdfunding for fashion. Um, it was you know very lucky to be to be honest because I was quite young then and I had the, I got the cradle grant. So getting the cradle grant at a very young age, there's a lot of challenges because right I didn't have the experience. I was never in the workforce before. What do I know about doing a startup? So I was in the startup scene quite for a bit, and then every every time I get home, you know there's this always this uh, situation with my dad whereby he will bounce back ideas and he said you know what sweet awards aren't going to feed you you need a proper business coach you need a proper mentor you need to find someone who understands industry and that's where he introduced me to actually gun because he's actually my dad's friend <laughs> right yeah. And, uh, yeah from a business association actually in fact yeah. so i mean i was probably very young at that time i don't know he was probably twice my age i'm not sure <laughs> so when <laughs> almost, my dad, almost, yeah, so yeah. when my dad introduced us you know he had the experience of running fashion before as he was the group ceo of um, pony at that time so for me it was a no brainer to like you know try pitch to him to see whether could he actually mentor me or eventually you know be my partner in this so that's how we actually got into business together but really quick is that you know running a fashion crowdfunding platform 6 to 7 years ago was almost too new for the industry. The buying behavior was wrong, the timing was wrong, and many laymen don't know what crowdfunding is. Even till now, not many people know, right? So it, we had to pivot because, you know, money wasn't kicking in and things like that. So when we pivoted, we became a social enterprise because from empowering students and fashion designers, we realized that there is a loophole that no one was empowering the tailors. So we decided to then pivot. Mm. Right. Uh, so your ventures have always been, you know, around fashion, as you mentioned. Why did you decide to start a social enterprise rather than aiming, you know, the uh, the fashion designer dream, which is to build your own brand, build your own identity, right? What's the story behind it? All right. So many people, like, I guess they immediately think that, you know, I was having a fashion design uh, background, right? But I don't. So honestly speaking, I think the more I know myself, I'm more of a creator, innovator, and I like solving a certain issue or problem. So that's why I had a crowdfunding platform, right? I wanted to solve the the fashion designer's capital, mm. for example. So, but because that wasn't working out, but through that operation, we found out that there was this group of B40 ladies who wanted an income, but no one was able to supply it to them. Because these were ladies, you know, the akak the makcik-makcik that would get the orders during raya only. So it's a very seasonal income, right? So, you know, that's where I decided, like, you know, I want to solve that issue right now. So it became that. I also had my passion involved. I was creating products, 
So I, I guess it went very well because I it still had my passion in there. The creator part, the innovator part, and also solving a problem. Right. Uh, so you basically mentor, coach, and you are currently managing a lot of different companies. So why was KTJ interesting to you? Is it because, you know, it's not like any other businesses that you're currently doing? Uh, first of all, like what Sui mentioned, her dad is my friend. When a friend requests for help, he say, okay, I have my daughter who have this uh, talent as this capital, but she struggled. So uh, as an uncle, can you go and take a look? So, and he know that I, I, I was in the fashion industries before. So maybe I was the best person to ex, uh, advise her as to the supply issues, the logistic issues, as well as how the trend goes in the, in the fashion industry. So after I sat down with, with Sui, um, I realized she's not doing a fashion business, but she's doing a platform business. She's trying to create a platform to enable uh, fashion designers so that they can go to the market without much capital, like what she said. But then I, I realized that the, the idea was great, but there is a big hole in between, which is a supply chain. Because currently a lot of uh, Akka wanted the job, but there are not many. Because you, you have to wait and always the, the orders that come in is much later. And the Akka will be waiting at home, waiting at home. So I, I talked to her, I like the idea, but we have to spend a lot of money in marketing so that we can get more traffic into the platform, start buying. Because we have to have the minimum quantity before we start the production. So that's how we started with uh, my discussion with Sui. Then the next week he came back to me and with a long list of questions. So I told her, you know what? I like your the way you approach a business and you have that commitment. And I actually have not seen this from many other business owners. I, I mean, at that time she was very young and I have mentored many old <laughs> business owners who don't even have that kind of commitment and uh, greed. So I find her very interesting. I say, you know what? I, I like your business. If you don't mind, I would like to invest. So she said, well, she, she's, she's happy that if I'm interested. So uh, that's how I started uh, to, to go in and um, we do some remodeling of the, the, the structure. And then we realized no matter how we do, it is just like what Sui mentioned, it's not the right time for, for this model. People are not uh, aware of how this thing can help them as far as the fashion designer is concerned, as far as the customer is concerned. So we realized that this is maybe not a good idea. Then there was one day she says that, hey, a lot of cars still calling us and ask whether do we have job for them. So I say, since we don't have orders, myself, we create orders. So instead of create baju, we create products like souvenirs, we create like bags, pouches, and we say, why not we take this product and start selling to uh, B2B? Because I, I'm in the business networking, uh, I know quite some friends, perhaps I can bring this and ask them to buy as a door gift, as a souvenir to their customers and things like that. So that was how we started. Yeah, the whole idea was was great, but we never thought it is a social enterprise at that mm -hmm. time at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, speaking of which, right, uh, KTJ is accredited by the Ministry of Entrepreneur Development and Cooperatives. Why is it important to obtain such accreditation in order to run your social enterprise? I guess it's important because if not, every Tom, Day and Harry will be call, calling themselves a social enterprise. But when you call yourself a social enterprise, right, why is it sort of damaging? It's because they can take claim that they are helping a community, they can take donations, they can take charity, say it's for charity purposes, but for all you know, you don't know where the funds go. But being accredited, you actually get, um, you know, we have a guideline, we have to actually fulfill certain requirements and criteria such as where how many percent goes back to the community? What impact are you doing? You have to probably provide a report saying how many beneficiaries have you benefited over the year? What's the years to come? How many more are you going to empower? Things like that. So being accredited actually gives you that 
certification in a sense. But I think accreditation also is good to educate uh, everybody mm-hmm. as to they are this uh, in the middle of NGO and business. So at least there is this new breed that is coming into the space and trying to do a uh, certain part uh, to help. So at least with that education, with accreditation, at least they can educate the consumer that, okay, look, this, these are not NGOs. It's important to tell them that these are not NGOs. Because otherwise, they assume everything uh, for free. So I guess accreditation also means education to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, it's time for us to take a short break for some messages, but don't go anywhere. I'm here with the co-founders of Community Tukang Jahit, Yap Suyi and Gan Teh Hui, here on Open for Business, BFM 89.9. Begin Fun Moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Open for Business here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here in the studio with uh, Yap Su Yi and Gan Teh Hui, who are the co-founders of Community Tukang Jahit. Now, KTJ is an accredited social enterprise that empowers uh, B40 Malaysian women by giving them a training and providing them job opportunities. Now, uh, I want to talk about the products that you sell. So, you uh, mostly you sell batik-made products, right? Like uh, batik passport holders, batik masks... And then some leather products as well. So why did you choose to focus on making batik products? Um, I guess uh, when we designed the product range, right, it was at first the focus was very B2B, right? We needed the orders, we needed bulk orders. And when people ask me that, I think it's very easy to describe. When we have bulk orders, when we have 500, let's say, pouches ordered, we get to empower five or ten akka-akka at once rather than, you know, ten pieces and then one akka gets the income. So we we much prefer the B2B market. So the next thing that we see is that sustainable, holistic, sustainable solution is that if there is a constant supply of orders, I understand B2B might come maybe for a corporate gift or an event or an annual dinner or maybe just for that year, right? So it's a one-time order. But what other than that could be sustainable? So that's where we thought tourism. So we believed in the batik items to be very, you know, tourism centric. So that's where, you know, that's the angle that we wanted to go for. Because with tourists coming in and out of Malaysia, I'm pretty sure they want to bring back something Malaysia. And while looking at what's in the market, it seems a bit limited at the, at the moment now. So that's where we went with batik. Mm. You want to make it like a tourist souvenir, right? I want to talk about that, especially during the pandemic. When it hit, tourists couldn't come in. But how do you manage that? But before that, there are a few things people see when they first log into your website. It's like almost 200 women empowered and then almost 94,000 items sewn and almost 230,000 income generated. So what does each of this mean? And why is it important to both of you that these are the first things people see when they log onto your website? I think we have to update the numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's way higher uh, now. Uh, higher now. <laughs> um, it is important also um, as an information to the team because um, we, we have a very small and young team and uh, to them, they are they are joining a social enterprise because they want to do good things. Um, and it's important for them to know that uh, the, the value and also the level that their contribution is by joining and support KTJ. So um, that is not to show to public alone, but also internally, we know we, we have a mission. As a business owner, we, we have many objective of running a business. We, we need to make money for ourselves, for our families. We need to make sure we have enough money to pay the salary, to pay other bills. But this 
as a social, social enterprise, we have one more measurement to ourselves is uh, at, at the same time, we want to know um, how many families and how many uh, uh, Aka has been empowered and we have supported along the journey. I think that one is uh, not just to measure, but also to be a uh, yardstick for us to, to know, uh, are we doing a good job or not? Those days, perhaps we want to do it because it's part of the criteria for us to, to be uh, accredited. Mm. But soon after that, we realize it's also important for us to know, you know, what keep us working hard every day because we see the number keep going up from, from time to time. Mm. So... What you do is basically provide job opportunities to these B40 women, right? Through, you know, upskill training and in sewing the orders. How are they trained and what is the process like to recruit and train them? Um, I guess for us, when people are asking, do you just help anyone and everyone, right? To be honest, we can't only because of our limitations and uh, the resources that we have. Because we're not an NGO, we don't have that budget or the funds to just purchase sewing machines and then, you know, give it out for free and then do training. So what we do is we're, we're filtering. We have to filter those who have at least a sewing machine, who have at least some basic skill. Um, put it this way, if they're committed enough that some of our ladies are, they actually go out and rent a sewing machine at first till they own it or some of them borrow from friends and family. So it's all about commitment. In the end of the day, if a sewing machine is required, they'll find it, right? Because here we are already providing job opportunities, right? It's just the extra step. Like, so that, that SOP that we do is only to filter the real committed ones. And why we need that is not because we, we're selfish or we don't want to help everyone, but because we're also answerable to our clients. Imagine this, our corporate clients are having an event. Two weeks time, three weeks time. But if every other beneficiary is busy, sick, unwell, want to go back to Bali Kampong, who's going to be sewing these pouches, right? So it's a very balanced. That's why social enterprise people always assume that, okay, you're just helping the community. But don't forget to earn that income to support the business. We have to also manage the clients. Mm. I guess very, very different from us compared to, I'm not sure about other social enterprise because we keep saying this, that we are not social enterprise as per the definition of the government. We are basically an enterprise that creates social impact. It's very important to bring the, the importance of enterprise before social because that's how we are sustainable. So if you keep working on the social impact and without concern, uh, the profit making part without knowing, uh, talking about the quality of your product. Eventually we will go, go into serious trouble because I've seen that many, a lot of NGO can't, can't make money because they are just focusing on the social work. So we want, um, this business to be like any other business who focus on their product quality, the discipline, the SOPs, the customer satisfaction before we talk about how to impact others. So of course, these two got to be, got to find a balance, but we always be very mindful that this is still a business. Mm. Right. So you also work with uh, other social enterprises like Picha Eats, uh, the Asli Ko uh, Kachara Soup Kitchen under a service called the Impact Hamper Guys. What are you trying to achieve with these collaborations and how does it work? All right. So how this idea started was actually during the pandemic. We, we, we have a few friends in the social enterprise community. One of them is Goal. Uh, they, Goal stands for Generating Opportunities for Learning Disabled. So this it's a bit close to my heart because they are also empowering autistic children and Down syndrome youths with the ability to bake and earn an income. So they are baking cookies and things like that. So with KTJ, we understand. We we are like a packaging people, right? We OEM either name card holders, passport holders, or we either do covers, pouches, bags. Mm. So it's like more of the outlook. But people want snacks, especially for festive, right? They want cookies, they want some snacks, they want some chips, they want chocolates. 
And that's not what our akak-akak do. They can't suddenly, you know, drop sewing and then start baking, right? Then what about a QC? So why not work together? That's where we, we, we feel that we can actually create compounding impact. So actually, guess what? Uh, the, the, the real uh, reflection of that is that it resulted into quite, quite substantial orders from corporates actually believing in what we do. So we actually have hampers made for many agencies and many corporates, including other social enterprises as well. So we become the impact hamper guys because we are the ones packing in the office that we'll be purchasing from gold, from Picha, you know, putting into one big basket and then sending to our corporate clients. So they like the idea that it's not just empowering our B40 community. It's also empowering the youths, the special needs. It's also empowering the underprivileged, the -hmm. refugees as well. So this becomes... Not just a procurement for their KPI, it's more than that already. Because, you know, sometimes they only report that, oh, empowering B40, but this one's like way more with just one one time purchase from KDG. Mm-hmm. It really resulted in a lot of compounding impact and we wanted to, you know, keep it true with it. So that's why we name ourselves the Impact Hamper Guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that that is also important to keep uh, other uh, SEs together because there's no point everybody working in their own silos. Because I think the idea uh, we are still at a very early stage to to create the um, the awareness. So it's good that we put our our uh, efforts together. So so the sound the voice is louder. I guess that is also another reason why we want to work with other SEs. Mm. All right. So what are the biggest challenges that you have faced running a social enterprise? So like, um, just now, I mean, maybe to elaborate a little bit more on also juggling the business side and the social side, right? One of the social side, I think the, is managing people, right? In the end of the day, this group of Aka Aka, this group of tailors, these beneficiaries, they are still people in the end of the day. We still need to manage their commitment, their time management, their QC and, and things like that, right? So, but what comes with that is that there's also extra care that we have to give to them. Why is that so? It's because... They became so personal, like it's almost like family, right? When we sit down and talk to them, we don't just ask, okay, we've helped you earn income generation. What's the next thing that you feel KTJ can help you with? So it actually led to us finding out that they don't have EPF and SOXO and that worries them. And after that, we dig deeper because we know we can't supply that unless we're a full-time hire, right? We dig deeper and found out that it's actually insurance and health that they're worried about. So that's where, you know, uh, Gun sat down with one of his uh, friends and, you know, they decided, you know, could there be insurance packages that we can curate just for our tailors? So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, but I, I do, we don't want them to feel that we give them the insurance coverage. So we told them, look, we, we are able to find an insurance coverage for you as far as the saving and also the, um, the, the health and concern. But the thing is you have to earn it. So you have to meet certain criteria, for example, consistent in supply and also the attendance. But more important is you have to pay at least 20% of the premium. So we cover the 80%. So they always felt that this is not for free. And, uh, Upon renewal, they have to also, again, we will evaluate it again and again. So it also create a, a status for those who are working hard compared to those who didn't got it because you're not as hardworking as this category of Akash. So indirectly, we also create uh, uh, some kind of KPIs to them that look, as long as you achieve this, it's not a very tough target. So long you are consistent, you are able to get through this uh, uh, test, then we will give you the insurance you want. Mm. Yeah. So I guess to, to sum it up, the why is that, like I would say a challenge running a social enterprise because I guess when you run a normal business, right? Normal enterprise, you don't have to really go into the detail of the your worker's personal life. But for ours, why we take that on ourselves is because, well, we are running a social enterprise. The people matter, right? Their, their well-being, their livelihood, their children's education becomes part of our business as mm. well or or put it this way part of our problem solving 
right? So that's why it's very, uh, that, that's that juggle that we have to do. We have to care for the beneficiaries way more than how would you would for normal staff per se. Mm. Yeah. So I guess uh, we, we've learned along the ways. We've learned the struggles. We've understood how to deal with them in a fair manner, not in the cruel manner, but fair. So I think he has many teachings on why fair, because some people always say like, why would you cut out obviously very pitiful lady? But I said, well, she's, if she's not committed to the timeline given, but 90% of them are with the same difficulties, why should I be biased towards one? We, we are not as strict as totally don't care about their survivorship. For example, if they are to, uh, we, we put them into a group to sew a product. If they can't, then we downgrade them to sew a simple, simple product. product if they can't then we put them into doing uh for example um stickers and also packaging so we we try our best to give them something easier of course it's achievable to their level but if the discipline is an issue then we cannot condone we have no choice because that can bring toxic to the the whole community mm-hmm. then we have to cut them off right i do want to talk more about this but it's time for some messages but don't go anywhere i'm here with co-founders yap suyi and gang tekui the co-founders of community tukang jahit here on bfm 89.9 the business station Balanced Frank Medium, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Open for Business here on BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Billy Chai. I'm in the studio with co-founders Yap Su Yi and Kan Teh Hui of Community Tukang Jahit, which is an accredited social enterprise that empowers B40 women by providing them training and job opportunities to sew uh, corporate gifts, customized sewn items and more. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, from your both of your experiences, what are the biggest challenges running an enterprise for profit and running a social enterprise? I mean, it, it comes from two different aspects. One is from the customer's uh, point of view. Customer look at us always, they thought we are NGO. So why, why our products are expensive? Okay, without, without, <laughs> without wanted to know, we, we still have our costing. Our products are not like big volume where we can have the economies of scale. We don't have factories that we can produce in bulk. We are always going on uh, order by order basis. For example, today you place an order of 50 pieces and 1,000 pieces. To us, we still pay the ACA the same uh, wages per piece. So we can't go and tell the Aka, look, because we produce more, can you reduce your wages? That's not what we want to do. And we don't want to do it. But to the customers, they always feel that, wow, but now I buy more. Why can't you give us more discount? We, we are not a typical factory where we can offer the kind of uh, volume or bulk purchase discount. That's one, one, one way that we keep constantly trying to educate the customers, which we find very difficult sometimes. Second is on the, um, the cash flow side, because a lot of customers, especially the big corporation, they have their policies, they have their SOPs. For example, when they buy something, they wouldn't uh, give a down payment because they, it's in their policies. But to us, we need a down payment because we are buying all the material cash in advance. And we have to pay the ACA the moment when they deliver the product to us. So whatever that we delay in collection, we cannot translate the, the, the burden to our ACA and also to our suppliers. So in that way, we have to shoulder that cash flow upfront. So I would say running social enterprise is far more uh, difficult compared <laughs> to a normal enterprise because I can always go to the supp- uh, supplier and say I, I can buy in advance. But here I can't because every orders are unique. The products and the fabrics are different. Likewise to the customers, um, if I know them longer, I can always have a credit with them. But today, most of them are buying like one time, second time. They are not buying on the ongoing, like a regular basis. Therefore, the relationship are not as great 
as compared to my type of business that I'm, I'm currently managing. So I find that is a big gap between um, KDJ and uh, other typical businesses. Mm. All right. Can you tell me, are the tailors, the women tailors under you, are they on contract basis or are they just free- freelancers? Because currently they work through like almost like a freelance basis. Only when there is orders, then they are engaged to to come on board to receive these job opportunities, right? So it's through a freelance basis at the mm. moment. Mm. And how many are they currently? There's more than about 50 to 70 active tailors. So active meaning that, yes, we have already empowered more than 250 ladies, but having them active, which means the ones that are constantly receiving orders from us. And it's a very supply and demand situation, right? Only when there is a huge order, we activate all 70. If there is an order coming in that is probably a bit smaller, then we need to activate the ones that we prioritize. In this sense, the single mothers or the OKU group. Hmm. All right. So on your website, your products are not only aimed to support women, also to reduce plastic waste. So they are part and parcel of the sustainable development goals. Uh, Tell me where you are in terms of achieving these goals. It's a chicken and egg issue because when it comes to costing, when the customer wanted something cheaper, um, plastic is the only options we have. And uh, when we say that yeah, we, we can convert that into using recycled paper and other uh, uh, more environmental friendly uh, material, then again, the cost will have to uh, pass back to customers. And it's always the decision by the customer that, that makes the difference. We always wanted to propose, but of course it comes with these uh, costing issues. So I, I would say as far as the empowering uh, women and helping the poor, we are doing quite a lot. But when you talk about environmental, we are still at the very early stage. Mm-hmm. But just to share the early stage, but exciting early stage because I we actually had a few orders recently um, by by groups that are very very devoted into achieving the SDG goals. So their requirement is that no plastic, so we turn to paper bags. No stickers, so we turn to printables and water soluble glue, for example. So some of them even go to that detail. And the fabrics that we use have to come from a recycling factory that is all through unwanted clothes. So we have to sort. So I, the, the supply chain, that SOP, that whole operations, right, is almost double the amount of work. But people don't know that. They think like, but I'm using waste. But they forget who's doing the sorting, who's doing the washing, who's doing the cutting. Compared to when you cut the fabric from a big piece and duplicate, now you have to take open up a baby's clothes, for example, and then a mom's clothes, and then later the pants that you have to chop it out into pieces. So they don't understand uh, the procedures. But yes, the SDG goals achieved. Operation-wise and costing-wise, suddenly it's a um, game-changer to them, right? So I think, uh, yes, the awareness is there. I think uh, corporates, big groups are very into the ESG as well. And I think that's great. That's all great. But, you know, hopefully with the awareness that it's going to incur a little bit more effort to actually produce a total full upcycled uh, clean product compared to just mm. any other ordinary item. All right. How much was the starting capital and have you become profitable? We, we started with uh, the fashion business. Okay, of course, we spent a lot of money in uh, building the portal. Um, hundreds of thousands we have spent. But of course, good thing that Sui started with a grant. So we have um, uh, easy lifting at the early stage. But then um, those money that we have earlier has been burned during the fashion business. We even pumped in a bit more Yeah, we pumped in more. So time, we have yeah. to finance the business. Um, but soon after we pivoted to um, what we are doing in KTJ, um, we, we see the lights and the cash flow are slowly coming back. We see uh, sales coming in. Of, um, over the three years, the sales has been growing really good. Profit is just 
okay, but we are above the break-even line because we are very careful with our costing and also the overhead. Um, I would say the, the capital is not a lot. Yeah, but the time and also the energy that we have to put in uh, with the small team that we have um, is um, if you if you ask if I can go out and start working as a normal employee, we are not getting anywhere half of what we're supposed to get. Mm. Yeah, that's the financial that we are dealing with. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another, uh, like we mentioned earlier in the before the starts, um, uh, for three years, yes, we are profitable where we never have chance to call out any dividend because all this money we still need uh, as part of the working capital to buy fabric, to stock up and also to uh, to, to, to prepare for all the uh, inventory, especially uh, most of the material are coming from uh, uh, suppliers who don't willing to give credit. So we have to buy upfront because we, we couldn't have too many variety of material. What if customer wanted something at 1,000 pieces and we don't have the stock? Uh, so the cash are all mainly uh, stuck in inventory. And plus, lately we have a new uh, way of helping our Aka is by pre-produced uh, products. Because if it's strictly by orders, so they will time, for example, good time, season, festive season, a lot of order coming in. But low uh, non-peak season, suddenly we don't have any orders to Aka. So they are also living in the yo-yo situation. So we thought internally, why not we pump in minimum order so that all the Aka can at least produce something even during the off-peak seasons. So that's where our cash flow are all stuck in the inventory mm. buildings. Right. How do you distribute your monthly revenue? Do you How much do you reinvest into your company? How much do you pay yourself? <laughs> okay. I think because we're still very bootstrap, we're still very startup, even though, you know, if we really officially see we're more than three to four years already running, right? A lot of people may ask, like, how are you still a startup after four years with like six employees and 50 Aka, right? It sounds so big and fancy, but I think truthfully, because we've been bootstrapping, that's how we survive. Um, to be honest, it's because social enterprise is such a new new DNA lah in this in this Malaysia world even though it's not new around the other 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 parts of the country uh, other countries but because a social enterprise is like half the DNA of NGO and half the DNA of uh, running a Sundaran Bahad, right? So we have to manage two sides of things. So whenever our re re revenue comes in, I think it's all pumped back into the company. We take, like he said, bare minimum wage just to survive. <laughs> I think it's not about us. I think it's about building impact at, the, at this point of time. And a lot of the revenue is pumped back into the inventory. I think we have easily maybe tens of thousands all just in material because we have faced situations where people are about to place orders. There are inquiries coming in, but the minute they hear about the timeline that it takes maybe two months to sew, they back off, right? So we understand that in the corporate gift game in this industry, it's all about speed. So to play that part of the business world, we need to train our social part to be faster, right? And to do that is to invest in material. So I think our revenue is juggling a more headaches compared to I think like you said normal factories or how you would normally run a business but as far as the distribution I think I can easily say 20-25% uh, of our revenue are going to the beneficiaries as far as um, uh, distribution by way of wages or incentive or even benefits such as insurance and other uh, perks that's at least 20-25% to of our total revenue every year uh, is back to the community when yeah. you say beneficiaries, uh, they the are. Aka. The Aka. Yes. Okay. yes. Right. Uh, how about 
during the pandemic, let's go back to that conversation, right? Uh, you couldn't sell, you couldn't make tourist souvenirs when that was the main source of your income. So what happened during the pandemic and where are you now in terms of recovery? I think we were lucky at that time, even we are not able to serve uh, the, um, the tourism industry, but a lot of shopping malls, um, perhaps they have seen the recovery earlier than other business. So we got a lot of uh, um, big corporation from shopping malls like KLCC Group, like Sunway Group, Pavilion Group. They are placing all this uh, even during the pandemic because they, they foresee soon uh, they will have uh, um, more open so perhaps there will be more retail activities so I guess that was what they see the foresight plus also a lot of uh, healthcare industry are also looking into this element we, we gotten a lot from like Sunway Medical like um, Pantai and all this so these are the the big corporation that help us during the many MCOs and RNCO and CMCO time. Of course, other banks, insurance company, and also even professional firm like KPMG, Pricewaterhouse, they have seen this ahead of other businesses. They start placing order, for example, buying butter face masks and give it to their customers, to their employees who are coming to office. So that was very fortunate, especially yeah. during the, the first MCO. I think it was a really blessing in disguise because we were panicking like you know first MCO what do we do the whole team got together like what do we saw next they were like let's go with face mask at first I think you, you, he was quite sceptical he, he was started, like saying she started the face mask the face mask you know we're having this whole argument about because it because she started during 2019 and mm. she says hey why don't we do something like this and that time um, COVID is not really that uh, obvious in Malaysia but it's already started in China but she said hey why don't we do something like this I don't have the foresight I say no don't waste time doing something that is unnecessarily you know a normal face mask only costs you like a ringgit plus so she said no but this is fancy this is beautiful and then she started the development so true enough when MCO came in and said hey can we start doing this in the bigger scale so that's where we jump into the R&D we have six versions before we actually launch <laughs> correct correct correct. <laughs> and this was all done at home uh, with my mom uh, just yeah, on, the, yeah. on the sewing machine testing whether, out what it fits whether is it the right fit or not and then gender wise and then Asian face and then the kids size yeah. and then the adult size but yeah. what was the real blessing was that uh, so K uh, KLCC group came with 16,000 pieces order yeah. during the pandemic and this helped 30 Aka for three months. So yeah. if you want to calculate impact, I mean, that's a story that we still tell till today. And one of our Aka, in fact, she, the husband had lost his job because it was during the lockdown and he the was security. taking care of mm. like school, the security guard for the school. And when the school closed, so his job was not longer needed, right? But she had five children. So that face mask order really pulled them through for the next three months till he found something else to do. Mm. So I didn't know of that till we started speaking to the, to, to the community members. And then that's where we knew like, wow, okay, this is impact that, you know, how do you measure it? Like when you hear it, your hair stands, but how do you put numbers to how much did, you know, food was put on the table, right, for their family. So that's where, I think that's what keeps us going every day in a sense because we see the the life change and then we see how they can actually get feel empowered yeah mm -hmm. all right before i let you go what do you want to do more with ktj moving forward um we we have been talking about this um yes we we started as a social enterprise but uh, more of i wanted ktj to be a creative company rather than a social enterprise because the the uniqueness about ktj is we are so good in creating something unique i mean to be a social enterprise empower b40 woman doing sewing i think it's not difficult to to start you can just have another person who just have the same dream they can start another ktj but what makes it very unique is because of the creativity of especially sui you know we have camouflage uh, the bmw 2 series when they first launched in malaysia the whole 
uh, car was camouflaged by Batip uh, design using KTJ's element and Sui was the one that designed it. And we have sold the most expensive glam mask in the world that is 16,000 ringgit per mask. So we, we are very creative in building products, building campaign and also creating awareness. So we wanted that to be our DNA. Yes, we are still a social enterprise by structure, but we want our DNA to be full of innovation and creativity so that makes a product unique and colorful. That is what I always wanted KDJ to be. Yeah. Mm. But in my sense, I think, okay, yes, maybe he has a foresight further. <laughs> um, I, I mean, in, in terms of the DNA, but for me, I think um, more to looking to the next maybe three to five years, right? When people ask us this, of course, we hope to build the, the community bigger because a lot of people like from other states have been asking, how can we join KTJ? But I look at their address and then they're in Malacca, they're in Penang, and then they're far away, some in Sabah and Sarawak. How can we empower those so far away right so you know with of course one dream is that you know if KTJ can actually empower those in Klang Valley why not we create other parts of Malaysia with KTJ there so that then those ladies there the beneficiaries there can actually supply sewing jobs and sewing uh, items to those around them so if it's a duplicatable business model then we're able to then impact more yeah, so that's the nearer, <laughs> the nearer foresight. Well, someone on CFA, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been a very interesting conversation. I've been speaking to Yap Suyi and Gan Hui of Community Tukang Jahid. Uh, if they want to know more about you, where can they find you? On our website on www.ktjmalaysia.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also our Instagram, the full spelling, Community Tukang Jahit. Thank you so much. If you miss any part of this conversation, you can go ahead and download the full podcast on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. I'm Lily Chai and this has been Open for Business here in BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.